nice microphone here. Let's. Oh. <laughs> Great to be with you this morning, <clears throat> and hopefully I can speak after singing that hymn. Now, and that was a marvelous hymn. One of my favorite uh, verses of hymns uh, is in there. Uh, my sin, oh, the bliss of the glorious thought, not in part but the whole, nailed it across. Just a marvelous thought, isn't it? And, uh, but it's good to be with you this morning, and thank you for inviting us to come out. Uh, now, some of you may not know us. I guess I should give a little bit of an uh, update on who we are and uh, who are these strange people that are here uh, sharing uh, from the Word of God. Do the elders really know what they're doing by having this fellow here? And so we probably should say a little bit of something about our background uh, Barbara and I were both saved in college, 1978, at Southern Connecticut State University. Uh, needed, both had grown up in what we might call Christian homes uh, nominally, uh, but uh, most of the family doesn't know Christ and still doesn't today, actually, unfortunately. <clears throat> but uh, Barbara and I did come to know Christ at college through a youth group there, or a, you know, a, not a, I shouldn't say youth group, but a Christian uh, group there, just believers who got together to read the Bible, and they would share the gospel. And uh, Barbara and I were saved two weeks apart at the college. Uh, secular college, and yet there the gospel went forth and we got saved. And we praise the Lord for that. And uh, based on that, we were brought to a small assembly in New Haven, Connecticut. Some of you may have been there, I don't know. Uh, Westville Bible Chapel. Uh, we, I spent 25 years there in ministry and growing in the word and growing in the Lord. And <clears throat> it just it was a marvelous time. Uh, but little by little, the Lord uh, had gifted me in the area of teaching. And I was learning from the scriptures as I grew. And... And other assemblies started to ask us to come to share the word. And so uh, we, we, we started doing that. And then in uh, 2000, actually about 2002, I moved uh, to Tennessee from Connecticut. And uh, in 2002, uh, my work had changed. I was in IT, by the way, for those who want to know what my secular work was. I was uh, into operating systems, especially the large mainframe operating systems and networks and so on. And then later on, some of the lower, uh, smaller things, uh, database work and the like. So you computer folks will love the fact that I, do all that, I did all that IT stuff. And, uh, but the company went bankrupt. We ended up uh, spending too much time then on the road. Uh, I was doing teaching of various programming languages and operating systems on the road and traveling a lot. And that basically affected the ministry. I wasn't able to minister. And so I decided to go down and teach at a university as a professor down in, in Tennessee. I'd already done my doctoral work and all that kind of stuff, so I had the degree to be able to teach. And so they allowed me to teach there for 12 years, and then I retired from that so I could just focus on the ministry. In 2005, we were commended to the work by a couple of assemblies to travel around, for the most part, North America, but as Lord leads elsewhere to minister the, the Word of God. And so that sort of gives you a little, little bit of a summary uh, of what we do. Now, Barbara's also been commended to the work, which is interesting. Uh, the assemblies wanted to commend her as well, and the reason being is I don't drive. Uh, young people will probably have this hard, and find this hard to believe, but I've never driven a car. And uh, so my eyes are just not good enough to drive. Uh, I can read, you'll see it once in a while, I'll probably come up close with my Bible and so on. I don't read, I, I can't see too well, but well enough that I can see you, and, uh, but uh, I can't see the clock, so that's good. And, uh, <laughs> you know, so. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, and so, uh, anyway, uh, uh, so she drives. She does all the driving. We drive about 50,000 miles a year uh, for the ministry. And so she does all that driving. So she's been committed as well to that part of the work. And so we're, I'm thankful for, that God has given me to her. We didn't meet until after we were both saved in college, just uh, in the Bible study there. We both met each other, and, of course, the rest is history. And uh, we got married and the like. So uh, we do have one son, Paul. Paul is down in Abilene, Texas. Uh, he's, he has a wife with three children. 
Uh, we have three granddaughters, and so that gives you a little bit of an idea of who we are. Uh, with that being said, part of our ministry also, besides uh, teaching uh, like this, uh, we do conferences, of course, and other uh, camps and things like this. We do regularly seminars. Actually, we do a number of seminars, usually not always in the same area, but we do do some seminars in personal finance. That's an area where I've had some experience in. And so for young couples and so on, and sometimes for assemblies, I'll do financial seminars. And, um, and then we also do some uh, practical ministry as far as helping widows and so on on the road. We'll help with their homes and so on, and keep them clean, wash windows, whatever it might be. We help out folks like that. And then we also do some writing. And so I've written a few books, a couple on personal finance, one on worship. Uh, and also, we've done a CD recently. A brother asked me to do a CD, uh, has a studio down in Alabama, and so uh, we've done a, C a singing CD. Uh, it is well with my soul is on that CD. Which, uh, uh, so if you like a copy of that, Barbara's got some of those books and CDs. You can feel free just to have a copy. Uh, if we have some left, I think we do. You're welcome to do that. We also have a copy of Daniel Stratman's book. Some of you may know Daniel from Arizona, and uh, we also share his book all around the country. And we, we picked up a case, we just saw them a couple weeks ago, and we picked up another case of books. And if you don't have one of his about their life story, marvelous story, of course. I see some heads shaking, yes, uh, it's a great story. And finally, we also have, a, I think, a few copies of a book from Leah Good from New Haven, Connecticut. She's, uh, this is a fictional book called Counted Worthy, uh, a book about a land does not allow Bibles to come in. And so if you're into that kind of thing, I read it, it's actually a marvelous, right? I don't usually write, read fiction, but... Uh, this was well done, and so we may have a few copies of that left as well. Well, what should we uh, uh, touch on in our 13 and a half hours left? Because uh, I, I was told I have until 12, but I wasn't told at what time of day, so that was good. I appreciate that, and that allows some flexibility. Uh, but I thought we might read a portion from Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12. I love the book of Genesis, the Old Testament. Uh, of course, the whole Bible is a marvelous thing, marvelously structured. And in our time uh, here in different places, we've done a few different things as far as uh, portions of Scripture we looked at. Uh, at Vista, I've been looking at the journey in relation to what book, uh, the book of Luke shows, for instance. Uh, but I want to look at the journey again, but in a different portion here with you in the book of Genesis. And chapter 12 and verse 1. And Jehovah said, or had said to Abram, go out of thy land and from thy kindred and from thy father's house to the land that I will show thee, and I will make of thee a great nation and bless thee and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing, and I will bless them that bless thee and curse him that curses thee, and in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. And Abram departed as Jehovah had said to him, and Lot went with him. And Abram was 75 years old when he departed out of Haran. And... Uh, and Abram took a Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that he had acquired, and the souls they had obtained in Haran. And they went out to go into the land of Canaan, and in the land of Canaan they came. And Abram passed through the land to the place of Shechem, to the oak of Morah, and the Canaanite was then in the land. And we'll stop there. We will try to go a little further, uh, but uh, this gets to be a very interesting portion. Uh, we know the story, of course, that uh, Abraham... Uh, of course, uh, before that, Abram was in the land of Ur of the Chaldees, if you do a little look before this. And evidently, as you see at the end of chapter 11, he had been called to come out of the land of Ur of the Chaldees into this land of Canaan. And as a man of faith, he just believed God, right? I'm going to, here's the land, and he, he believed him. And he went. Uh, they had a little stop, of course, a little stopping place. And that place was this place called Haran. Uh, that they had stopped at. And 
Heron, uh, there are various definitions some folks give. Uh, Jackson in his book gives the, uh, J.B. Jackson, some of you may have his book on scriptural names, suggests that means they're burning. That, uh, you know, really perhaps he shouldn't have stopped there. Uh, that perhaps, you know, God has said, Abraham, or Abram, I'm asking you to leave and come here to this land. But a number of other things happened because you see, not only did he leave, not leave his father's house, on, but some, his father's house came with him, didn't he? And so you see that happened, that Terah came with him, and Lot came with him, and of course others perhaps as well. But for whatever reason, they're going along that fertile ridge. If you had a map up here, you see it come from Ur over here, that fertile ridge along the mountains down into Canaan. And they stopped about midway on the map, if I were to have one here. And it's sort of sad because you see they stop there, and it seems like they're never going to get to the promised land, or at least the promised land in his perspective not getting to land that God called them to, that something had sidetracked them in some way, whether it was because of Terah or something else, and we aren't told, but they get sidetracked on their way to this land. I wonder, do we ever get sidetracked on our journey? <laughs> that God has called us out of, out of Egypt, perhaps, maybe we'll touch on this a little bit tonight, that he's called us out of a place into a different place. And we always want to go back to the other place. Have we ever done that? Or perhaps we don't want to go back to the other place, but we come along and we find something that looks a little nicer along the way. We decide, well, let's go there. And we get sidetracked from where God has us to go. It happens, doesn't it? That we get sidetracked. And here they get sidetracked. And Terah dies. We never see that Terah ever gets to the land, does he? We don't know his condition, whether he's a man of faith or not. We aren't, we aren't told very much about Terah. But evidently, after chapter 11, there some, he dies. And uh, you see then in chapter 12, it almost appears that uh, Abraham gets a reminder from God. Oh, by the way, Abraham, you know, you're not there yet. I mean, we don't see it. But you see, it, it's called to mind in some way. Whether he remembers himself or whether God comes again and says to him, uh, Abraham, you haven't gotten there yet. You see, that's why in verse 12, it says, and Jehovah had said, I'm sorry, verse 1 of chapter 12, and Jehovah had said to Abram, go out of thy land and from thy kindred and from, you see, it had said to Abram, past tense. He had told him. Back in chapter 11, right? But for whatever reason, he hadn't gotten all the way there. Well, finally, of course, after Terah dies, he does get up and leave. And you see, there's still one little interesting issue, though. It says in verse 4 that Lot went with him. Not still quite separate, because you see, God had asked him in verse 1 to go out from the land, there are the Chaldees, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house. And see, so there are three key things. He has to leave. And yet, you see, it's not completely done yet, is it? Well, it is, you know, his dad is now dead, of course. And Ur the Chaldees is behind him. But he's not in the land yet, and he still has a lot with him. But what I'd like to focus on today a little bit is the journey that Abraham takes from that land. And when he gets into the promised land, what happens? Or I would say the land of promise, perhaps I should say. And he comes into the land in verse 5, and he comes to Shechem, the Oaks of Morah. And the first stop, as he comes, into, you know, comes down into the land... He comes down in, and he comes to this place called Shechem, 
which has a meaning of shoulder or perhaps suggests strength. And Mara means teacher. And he comes to this place where, the, where you have uh, the place of strength and teaching that Abram's going to need some time to learn when he gets into the land. I, I just told you how Barbara and I had been saved when we were in college just briefly. That because of what we heard about the Lord Jesus Christ, we knew that we weren't Christians. We thought we were Christians. <laughs> Perhaps some of you have been there. That we had grown up in homes that, you know, well, there was a Bible on the shelf. And uh, we went to a church because we were taught to go to church. I love church, by the way. I loved going to church. I loved the music. I don't know about you. I loved the singing and the, and the choir and the, all that kind of stuff. And uh, I really enjoyed it. And, and Barbara went to a different church. And, and we went because we were taught to go. But that didn't make us Christians, did it? Didn't make me, didn't make me know Christ. In fact, when these young people would start to share the gospel with me, and they start, you know, saying, well, you know, you know are you a Christian? I said, yeah, I'm a Christian. I actually told them that. <laughs> oh, so you know the Lord Jesus is your Savior. Well, what do you mean by that? You know, well, you know, the gospel, you know, it, it shows the gospel in the scripture. You, you believe, what's the gospel? You see what happened, right? I had gone to church for 20 some odd years. And I had never known what Christ was all about. Never knew. Oh, I had heard that he died, of course. I knew of him, but I didn't know him. It's a sad situation. There might be one here today like that. Who has gone to all kinds of churches or whatever, but has never put their trust in Christ. It can happen. And you know what? You can be born along like that, thinking you're a Christian until you meet somebody who says, well, let's look at the Bible. What does that say? And you say, well, gee, I didn't, I didn't know about that. And these people were very good to us, and they were very careful to share with the scriptures and so on. And we've grown immensely over the years because of these people. And we know God is using them. We know that God has used them. It's the spirit of God, of course, that works through other folks, using their gifts and so on. And so, you know, our journey started. But you know what? It took a lot of training, didn't it, on that journey? It took a lot of teaching and God working with us to learn. And, and uh, by the way, are we, I, some of you folks have been around for many years. Are you still learning? Still learning, aren't you? And we're still learning. That's why we love the, the conferences. And we, we try to go to a couple ourselves each year because we're so busy ourselves ministering. We try to pick one or two a year where we go where we're not speaking. <laughs> so we'll have an opportunity to be at the, under the ministry, in a sense, to have an opportunity to hear what God has to say. Now, although we study the scriptures ourselves, you see it's helpful as well to have others share. And so as we go on this journey, Abram is getting started. He's a man of faith. And, uh, but that doesn't mean the man of faith is perfect, is he? Uh, anyone here perfect, by the way? I should probably, you know, uh, you know as far as on your, in your own self? No, no, no hands raised. I can't see your hands anyway, it don't matter. But the, anyway, um, uh, so I, I might be able to see one or two of them up front here. But you know, it, it's okay. You see, we're not perfect, are we? We fall short. But even as Christians, uh, I wonder if any of you ever make mistakes. And maybe some don't. I didn't see too many hands going up, so they made mistakes. But, you know, well, that's all right. And so, you see, he comes to Shechem, the place where he's going to have to be taught. We don't hear an awful lot of what happens there. Maybe he's there for a while. We don't know. But just by the names alone, you can imagine what God is doing there, working with Abram. To get him prepared. Because, see, it's not going to be an easy go, is it, in that land? It will not be an easy go. And as a man of faith, he's going to have to trust in God, isn't he? And he'll have to learn some of that because, you see, sometimes we fail in our ways of trusting him. 
He comes to this place of the teacher, and that's his first major stop in the land, to learn, to grow. And it says there in verse 6, the Canaanite was in the land. It's interesting to say that because, see, God's reminding us that it wasn't Abram's land yet, was it? It was the Canaanite's land. But by faith, he would recognize that would be the land of his seed someday. But also to find uh, it's an important lesson to learn. We must learn, too, that you know, we're in this world. But really, you know, who owns this land? Now, we know, of course, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. We know that, of course. But who's the ruler of this age right now? Who's in charge of things going on in a sense, in some sense anyway, earthly-wise? And we know the evil one's at work, isn't he? And so we have uh, a world where the Canaanites are in the land, aren't they? The world's full of Canaanites, uh, which means trafficker. They traffic in religious things, don't they? They traffic in all kinds of things. But be careful what you traffic in, because the evil one would have you to traffic in things of this world, wouldn't they? And so Abram's got to learn, trust me, don't traffic in things of the world. The Canaanite has this place right now, but it's true for us today, isn't it? At least in some sense, illustratively anyways. And so Abraham comes there, and he stays there, and we don't know how long he's there, but that's the first stop. Then he comes, and he, see, uh, he says to him in verse 7, And to thy seed, O this land, and there he built an altar to Jehovah, who had appeared to him marvelous, saying, He's there for a while. He's got an altar there. He can talk to God there, inquire of God, and so on. Isn't it marvelous that we can do that? As men and women of faith in the land, as it were, spiritually speaking, we can do the same thing, can't we? Have time to pray, to think about what God has to say to us from his word, to relate to him and understand what he's teaching us as we are, in a sense, in our land of Canaan here, as it were, in this world. Well, he goes on, and they built an altar, and then in verse 8, and he removed thence. Oh, he's moving. Uh-oh. Could that be a problem? Well, maybe not. You see, he's there for a while. He's got an altar. We don't know how long he's there. We can't say for certain, but he's there for a time. And what does he have? What, what do you think he's doing anyway? Well, perhaps spending time learning from God in some way, maybe. We aren't told what happens there. Now, we might find that sort of boring, wouldn't we? I mean, just praying and having time with God and, you know, uh, well, maybe he's, uh, of course, eating and, and so on. He has to rest, of course, and so on. Uh, but perhaps taking care of his flocks or whatever he might have. But having plenty of time to be with God. Plenty of time, right? Do we have plenty of time to be with God today? In our trek, during this, our journey in the world. And where are we going to stop? Well, look where he stops next. He comes and he built, uh, he in verse 8, and he removed thence towards the mountain in the east of Bethel and pitched his tent, having Bethel toward his west and Ai toward the east. And there he built an altar to Jehovah and called in the name of Jehovah. Oh, that's a good thing, isn't it? Now we have another altar. But now it's in a different place. He's moved from the place where perhaps we, we know by name means the teacher, Marah. And now we come to this place called Bethel. You probably know what that means, right? Bethel, house of God. Oh, so he's making progress, isn't he? That he's making a step, and now he's, he's making some progress now to this place that's called the house of God, or would be called the house of God in the future. And look what he does. And, and there he built an altar, as we mentioned, and he pitched his tent. 
Oh, that's very important, of course. Uh, how many of you, uh, anyone here living in a tent today? No, no, no. Well, I mean, our bodies are sometimes called a sense of tent, right? We're a temple or a tent. Um, and and you, know, you might think your homes, your physical homes might be. But if I were to ask you, do you live in a physical tent? You might say, well, no, brother, I, I don't do that. Maybe there might be one here does. I remember living in a tent one time all summer long. And it had uh, just a wood floor, you know, they, they, one of those pallets. And uh, it was pretty open. You know, you had to have mosquito netting for the mosquitoes, you know. And so you see, I, I know what it is to live in a tent for three or four months. But that's about it. Full time? No, I can't say I have. I did, uh, that was at a camp one summer. I, I, I was in a tent for three months. And I remember, I remember it was my first summer working. I made $50 for the whole summer work. <laughs> I still remember that, you know, in a tent. But you see, we, th those tents were there for a purpose because what would happen when we were done at camp, what would happen to the tents? Well, they'd be moved or taken down, right? They'd be, por they're portable. And we get great, great lessons for us, don't we, when we look at tents in the Bible. We don't have time today to look at that. But if I were to look at tents in the Bible and show you the importance that Abraham is in a tent because he's on what? A journey. He's, it's temporary. And brethren, we too, don't we really, oh yes, we have physical houses, but we understand what's going to happen to these houses someday, don't we? That the houses we currently have and, and the nice places perhaps we have will someday go away, won't they? But you do have a place that you can look forward to forever, don't you? There's a better place, as Abram, of course, knows. And, uh, and of course, in Hebrews, we learn about, right? He looked for a place, didn't he? He looked for a city, didn't he? Whose builder and maker was God. And so he comes to Bethel, and he pitches his tent. And you see, he has Bethel. You know how these things are sort of thrown in? You wonder why they're here. It says here, Bethel on the, toward the west, and Ai toward the east. And there he built an altar. And he pitches his tent toward Bethel, it seems, on the west. Well, why does he give that kind of information? It seems like you know, we would just skip over that, it seems. But they're great lessons for us. And in our, you know, I can probably take two or three hours to talk about this first, and we go on, right? Um, but you might get mad at me, so I won't do that. But I can just mention briefly, and perhaps at some other point we can look at this in more detail, that we recognize then that Bethel, the house of God, is on the west. And the Ai, the heap of ruins, or the, called, sometimes called heap, is on the east. And if you think about it, that's really the way God would have it. That's the way, earthly-wise, the directions flow. There's a lot of information about East and West in the Bible. And you can do a study on it. You know, I, I do a whole message just on the issue of the directions and why does God have them like that anyway? But I can just bring out to you, you see, if I were to ask you where we see East in the Bible, you might take a study on it and say, well, it's sort of interesting. We see East in relation to the Garden of Eden, don't we? That God planted the Garden eastward, away from himself, or in front of himself, as it were. You can... In fact, the, Greek, uh, the Hebrew word can be translated in front of the word east. But from that point on, we see that east seems to be a key direction for man. A key direction of departure as he goes out from God. And then God's got to uh, put him, a, puts a, a, you know, he falls, right? Puts a flaming sword at the which gate? The east gate. And he sends him out east. And Cain, of course, goes out to the land of Nod, out east, it says. And you just keep on going, and it goes east until you get to Abraham. It goes east until we get to Abraham. 
And finally, we have man coming back to where the garden first started. And Abraham's a great picture of the man of faith who will come back westward to God. Out of, of course, in faith, because he's going to provide for him, as we shall see. And, and so as we look at that, we could go through the detail, but even the tabernacle and the temple and so on, you see, in the where was God's location in the tabernacle and temple? Where, which, which direction did the priests go to get to him? Well, westward. And when he left, they went out eastward, the east gate. And you just keep on going. And how about the wise men? They came from the east. And, and how about Ezekiel when, uh, when the uh, Spirit of God is, uh, when Jehovah is leaving the temple, he leaves out east and so on. You just keep on going to get the idea there's something about east and west and, and how God orchestrates things in the scriptures. And so here when we see the house of God in his tent westward, it's a marvelous picture. And on the, on the east we have Ai, that heap of ruins, or heap, speaking of the world. And so for us on our journey, uh, where are our tents pointed? Where are our houses? Now, I'm not, saying, I'm not telling you to go home and try to move your physical house, right? But spiritually speaking, where are we facing today? Are we facing westward, as it were, spiritually? Uh, recognizing that when we get up, we see God. That he's always there. Always there before us. And, of course, in us through, our, uh, through the Spirit of God. And so you see we have this next place he's come to, Bethel, a marvelous place. A place of the house of God, a place where he can make an altar, time to worship and so on, marvelous place. But we must move on quickly and see where else he goes. In verse 9, and Abram moved onward, going on still toward the Negev, or the south. That is the south where Judah would be later on, if you were looking at a map. And there's a famine in the land. Uh-oh. <laughs> Problem not where did God want Abram? Right here in this land, right? And why does God bring him to a land where there's going to be a famine anyway? Well, that's, we don't, may not understand the full thing why, but you see, we're going to learn something, aren't we? And what happens? Now, if you're in the land, you have an altar there, and everything's going well, well, what would you do if there's a famine or something goes wrong? Anybody, anybody here ever have any problems, struggles? Oh, just a couple. Not many people have problems here. That's okay. May not need this message, maybe. I don't know. Well, a few of us have struggles in this world. There are challenges. Uh, loss of job, or perhaps a loved one goes, uh, dies, or whatever it might be, and uh, we have struggles. And, or maybe a, a son or a daughter is going astray, and uh, what will we do when the struggles of earth come? I can assure you they'll come. <laughs> Even if you didn't raise your hand, I know they'll come. <laughs> The question becomes, what will we do? When we have struggles in this life, where will we go? And I hope the answer will be, for myself and for you, that we'll go to him. That we'll go to God for our help, and that's what we need to do. Abram had an altar there, and he could have gone to God. And we think this is a little bit of a problem here, because see, where does Abram go for his help? And it shows that a man of faith can have struggles too, can't they? And we too can have struggles and he, this man of faith uses Egypt. Now, I'll, I'll go maybe more into that tonight. But you see, he goes to Egypt for his help, a picture of the world. And he goes there for his help. And by the way, he was quite successful. But he had a lie, of course, and a few other things, which we'll get into maybe later on this evening. But sadly enough, he goes, and, but what do we not see in Egypt? Well, we don't see an altar, do we? 
And we don't see him speaking to God, do we? And we don't see him with his wife, do we? We see lots of things that aren't quite right because he's in the wrong place. Have you ever been to the wrong place, I wonder? Perhaps some of you today are in the wrong place. Well, God can help you get back to the right place, can't he? God helps Abraham to get back to the right place. Look what it says. He, of course, eventually, uh, God, and here's a, a Pharaoh who doesn't even know the, the God of Abraham, right? And yet God, in a way, speaks to him. And, Abraham, and, and, and Pharaoh says, well, I don't want no part of this. That's a sad commentary, isn't it? Have you ever had that where you've made a mistake in the world and the world wants no part of Christ and you call yourself a Christian? It happens. And so Abraham really has no testimony, does, to Egypt. He doesn't go there. The first thing he does when he gets there is lies, right? And what happens as a result? You think Pharaoh's going to believe in his God because of what he's seen? No. Not a great testimony in Egypt. But God protects him, of course, because he is a, he's one of his. And God protects him. And look what happens in chapter 13, verse 1. And Abram went out of Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had, and Lot went towards the south. And Abram was very rich in cattle and silver and gold. And one on his journeys, there he is again, journeying from the south, or the Negev, as far as Bethel, as far as the place where his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and Ai, to the place of the altar that he had made there at the first. And there Abraham did what? called on the name of Jehovah. You see, God had to bring him all the way back to Bethel, didn't he? And then he can call on his name. Now he'll begin to deal with him again. So we had a little side trip, didn't we? A little side trip. Uh, we learned an awful lot from that, of course. God has used it, you know, it's here for our benefit. You see, that, that was quite a side trip. To go over to Egypt for their help. And God, of course, protected him. Because that could have been a real problem, couldn't it? The way he was uh, there in Egypt. But God protects him. He gets back to where he was at the beginning. But now we have uh, some things going on. And we'll touch on this maybe more later. But uh, perhaps in this evening's thoughts, if the Lord will. But let's go over to see what happens next. That Lot, of course, is giving, given uh, an opportunity to go where he'd like. And uh, we'll touch on that tonight, perhaps. And then you see, um, the re of course, the purpose in God's uh, mind is to separate Lot from Abraham, of course. But he uses the things that have happened, of course, in their lives to make this happen. And so he separates them. And, uh, and Lot chooses all the plain of Jordan, verse 11. And Lot went toward the, oh, interesting, east. <laughs> sort of interesting, touching that again tonight. But you see, Lot went uh, east, which is sort of interesting, a form of departure in some way, as we've mentioned already, is at least as a picture in the scriptures. And this was, of course, before the, uh, and the people of Sodom were wicked and great sinners before Jehovah, verse 13. But you see that uh, Lot had tents, you know, see in verse 12, and pitched his tents there, the cities of the plain. But we recognize, of course, and we'll perhaps touch on this uh, tonight, that Lot went there, of course, with tents, but he ended up getting rid of the tents, didn't he? He ended up at a house later, as we see from Genesis. Very sad situation. But we finally come then, and we see now what happens in verse 14 with Abraham, because that's who we're focused on here today. And Jehovah said to Abram, after that Lot separated himself from him, lift up now thine eyes, and look from the place where thou art, northward and southward, and eastward and westward, and all the land that thou seest I will give to thee and to thy seed forever, and I will make thy seed as the dust of the earth. 
so that if anyone can number the dust of the earth, they, thy seed shall also be numbered. Arise, walk through the land according to the length of it, according to the breadth of it, and I will give it to thee. Walk in the land as if what, Abram? As if you own it, in a sense, doesn't he? Go throughout the land, northward, westward, eastward, whatever it might be, not a problem, Abram. It's not yours yet, but walk through it as if your seed's going to get it, as if you would be the owner of it. But you're, 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 not, you're not there. You're, just, you're there uh, physically, of course, but you're not of the world, right? Just like we're not of the world. We're just traveling through. How many of you are just traveling through the world today? We're just, yeah, quite a few. I'm going to see a good number of you say that. That Peter tells us, right, we're sojourners, right, strangers, pilgrims, your Bible might say, in this world, just for a time. And so we recognize the world is just a place that God has allowed us to be for a time, a temporary journeying place, just like our Lord had. He was on a journey, too. He came and left. And so Abram sees that. But now Abram makes another move that we'll sort of finish up with in verse 18. And Abram moved his tents, still has his tents, marvelous thing, and came and dwelt by the oaks of Mamre, which are in Hebron, which he built, and then he built there an altar. You see, wherever, you know, where Abraham goes, he builds an altar, a place where God would have him to be, a place where he can be in communication with God. And then when the struggles come to land, he has that place right there. He had to learn that, of course, with that little trip to Egypt, just like we do. We have to learn sometimes that it takes a while to come back and be where God would have us be. But you see, he comes to Hebron. Hebron means fellowship, communion. <laughs> and now that he is by himself, who does he have? Total communion with who? God and God alone. Totally in communion with him. Uh, Terah's gone. Ur of the Chaldees is gone. Haran is gone. Lot is gone. Everything is gone except for God. It's a great picture for us. Not that we get rid of our family, by the way. <laughs> but you see, there are lessons, aren't there? That Abraham had to show that it's God and God alone that's key. Now, we love our families, of course, and we may even enjoy our homes and all that kind of thing. But you see, these are temporal. We have something greater in our Lord Jesus Christ, don't we? And as men and women of faith, we focus on him and him being the priority on our journey. That's what we see in the book of Luke, by the way, if we do some studies in it as well. Issue of priority in the journey, at least some sections of it. And so he comes to this place of uh, fellowship, of communion, where the oaks of Mamre are. Uh, the, these Mamre means fatness, by the way, for those who are interested in that. And fatness is sort of interesting, because now the, the communion and, and the sacrifice and so on and, you know, you know, the fat from the sacrifice is very important. And so here he is sacrificing, and he's sacrificing at this place called fatness, this place of communion. Uh, now, I don't know how many of you like fat. Uh, you know, I mean, some of you, any of you like steak here? You know, prime rib or, you know, ribeye steak? Oh, a few people. Yeah, I do too. <laughs> yeah, good stuff, isn't it? You say. But what gives that meat its great flavor? And, you know, I mean, it's, it's the fat, isn't it? You know, it helps. It makes it nice tender at times, whatever. I'm not trying to make you hungry, by the way. I know lunch is coming, but you know. Say. But you see, we, it's the fat. But sort of in the sacrifices of the Bible, who gets the fat? That's for God alone, isn't it? 
that every time we see a sacrifice, the fat goes to God. The sweet-smelling savor, everything, that, the tenderness, all that makes something really good, that goes to God and God alone. In fact, the one time I can recall where we see people try to take the fat for themselves, what happens to them? I don't know if you remember, I think it's uh, Eli's sons, actually, if I remember correctly. Eli's sons, of course, are at the gate, and they're doing all kinds of very bad things, of course. And they want the sacrifices, and, uh, and the people say, well, no, you know, do this and give the fat to God, right? He said, at least do that. And they say, no, we'll take it by force. Wow. Well, we know what happened then, didn't we? Don't we? They died. Very sad commentary that they would take what belonged to God for themselves. And that's certainly something we don't want to do, do we? Don't take what belongs to God for ourselves. But here's Abram, a place of fatness, a place of communion, a place that he can have fellowship with God. After this long journey from all the way over Ur of the Chaldees, different places he stopped for teaching and the house of God and so on, he comes now out in the open, this place of communion. And how about us on our journey? Don't we do the same thing in a sense? We come out of bondage, of course, into a place. And it's a place called the wilderness, isn't it? Uh, that's not so exciting, is it? You think about it. We'll, we'll touch on this tonight, perhaps, if the Lord will. That you know, we, we come out of Egypt and we come into the wilderness. We come out of sin and bondage. Some of you may be in bondage of sin today. There might be some here. I don't know all of you personally. But there might be one here who is in the bondage of sin, hasn't dealt with their sin. But you can be out of bondage today, can't you? But it doesn't mean that everything's be hunky-dory, as we might say, right? It doesn't mean everything's going to be marvelous and wonderful as far as, well, you know, I'm going to have all kinds of money and I'll be rich. And No, it doesn't say that. It says, I'll take you out of bondage. <laughs> and I'll bring you into the wilderness, a place to see the world doesn't have a lot to offer. But I promise you this, he says, I'll be with you in that place. Isn't that what he said to Abraham? I'll be with you in that place. And so when the people come in the wilderness, he will be with us, won't he? That's, that's part of the gospel, I think. <laughs> And is he not going to bring you home too? And so you see, once we're on the journey, let us not look back. But like Abraham, we may occasionally go astray, but let us get back to the journey that we should be on and recognize that he will provide for us along the way and bring us to the promised land, won't he? Are you looking forward to that day that you'll be with him in heaven? In the heavenly city? I hope so. And he, do you trust him to do that? Because you should do that today. And so if you be here today as one who doesn't know Christ, you see, you need to trust Christ today before it's too late. And that, Luke brings that out, doesn't he? And he looks, you know, says that, 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 uh, that rich man who says, well, I have uh, all this grain and so on. I'll, I'll build new barns, right, he says. And I'll eat, drink, and be merry. And uh, so he does all that. And what does God say? Well, there's one thing, one thing you forgot there, my friend. You don't know when the journey ends, but I do. <laughs> he didn't say it that way, though, does he? But you see, he knew, he knew not when the journey was going to end, did he? And then whose will these things be that thou hast laid up, he says, right? Actually, he calls him fool, doesn't he? What? <laughs> but he, said, he tells him, you know, and that man was on a journey, but one thing he did not understand was when would the journey end. And none of us here today know when that journey's going to end, do we? The earthly journey, when will it end? We don't know. And so if you're here today and that journey could end today, who knows? Well, put your trust in Christ. He'll take you all the way home. But you've got to do it today before it's too late.
And for the rest, of course, who know Christ, and no doubt many of you do, will you trust him on the journey as well, part of the gospel as well? Will you trust him along the way? Uh, give him your, your struggles and so on, and not look to the wrong places for your help, because he will bring you all the way home. That's part of the gospel. He'll rescue you, he saved you, he's saving you, and he will save you, won't he? He'll deliver you someday. So trust him for that as well as a believer. And he'll receive the glory, won't he? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the time we've had to be together to look at thy word. And Father, we recognize that it's so easy for us to look at these things and say, oh yes, we assent to it, Father, in our minds. And, but Lord, may it be something we'd really take to heart. And Father, if there be one here who does not know the Lord Jesus, perhaps just uh, visiting, we don't know, I don't know all the folks here, but you do. May your spirit now convict them to see their need to get on the right path before it's too late, before the physical journey ends in this world and the decisions have been made. We pray that they'll put their trust in Christ to see that he will save them utterly and to the uttermost and bring them to the heavenly home. And for the rest, Father, we pray as believers that they might put their complete trust in you for all that happens in this world, not just for their salvation, bringing them into the promised land someday, but they might be those who would be strong and, and uh, seek you for their help. Whether any kind of issue in the world comes to be, bear on them, may they look to you and stay on that journey and not go astray. Help us, Father, it's difficult in this world. The evil ones at work, we ask your help in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen.